time. I'm Bree, and we are back again. Um, and we are back during Black History Month. Woo! Um, I'm really excited about tonight's guest for a variety of reasons, um, not least of which she's just super funny and amazing and dope as hell, and I can't wait for you all to meet her. So we're going to get started. I'm going to have her introduce herself, so tell us who you are and what you do. What's good, fam? This your girl, Roz the Diva. Yes! I, you know what? Okay. This has nothing to do with this podcast right now, but I need someone out there, whoever's listening, I want a hand signal. Like, you know how when JV's, J, when Jay-Z says, throw up the rock signs. Right, right. Everybody throws up the rock. I want a diva sign. Mm. I don't know what it is. I mean, it should be money. Basically. Yes, it should. Yeah, but I don't know how to do that with my fingers. So that's huh. the first, that's everyone's first homework task is. Yes, we're going to work I on have, that. Yeah, I, I really want I want a hand signal because it'd be fun. Yes, I think you need that. And you can do it before every performance. You can do it at list t-shirt. Oh, my God. Yeah, we need to get that popping. Exactly. Um, but seeing as how you can't... <clears throat> ooh, excuse me. Seeing as how you can't see a podcast anyway. Hey. <laughs> so... <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Roz. <laughs> I'm uh, from New York City. Um, I'm in Crown Heights in Brooklyn right now. And I am a pole dancing instructor and baby meathead, uh, but personal trainer. So what that means is that I spend my entire life sweating in right, one right. gym or another. And when I'm not sweating, I'm looking for protein and probably eating pizza instead. But I like it. Thinking at least about chicken. Um, <laughs> then I go home yes. and take a nap. Get some dry sports bras and come out and do the same thing the next day. I love it. It sounds like a great life. I I love it. it is it is nothing I ever 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 dreamed of for myself in a million years. But I'm so glad that I'm here. Yes, and we're so glad you're here too. So welcome to the podcast. Um, so the first thing I want to do is um, tell me a little bit about what your relationship with like fitness and sports was like growing up were you like a tomboy were you like couch potato like what what was little Roz doing uh little Roz was really fortunate Mm -hmm. that I had an awesome supportive family shout out to mom dad Lindsay and Grammy hey Um, because all of us as a family really uh were active with a bunch of different sports in particular uh softball was our family sport of choice. Mm-hmm. And so my sister played on teams in and out of school. I also played on teams in and out of school. And then my father was coaching both of our out of school teams mm-hmm. because there's no way that fool could sit on a sideline <laughs> and just cheer on like other regular ass parents. No. And while he was doing that, my mom was making cupcakes and getting wine and cheese Aww. and making gift bags for the team and cutting up orange slices because that's what she had to do. Um, and then my grandmother was driving us everywhere oh my <laughs> all God, around Long it. Island. So. It was a true family affair. And so you, you're you from New York. You grew up in New York? Yep. I grew up in Long Island, mm-hmm. and which is about an hour. Uh, I'm from Huntington, which is about an hour uh, east of New York City. Okay. So, um, and then I, uh, I grew up in Long Island, went to boarding school in Massachusetts, hmm. went to college in D.C. Where'd you go to college? back here. GW. Did you really? I How did. How did I not know this? Wow. Cla- okay. 
I, I am love class it. of 2006. Yep. Ah, love it, love it. Okay. So that being said, it sounds like you were pretty active growing up. Um, what was your body image like? I know for a lot of young girls, especially a lot of young black girls, like it, we just we just went through some things. So I'm always curious to hear people's stories about like what that was like growing up. You know, one thing that I'm very lucky that uh, that I had was, you know, I just talked about softball being, you know, family sport and mm-hmm. everybody's involved. You know, my parents always encouraged us to be active, but it was never tied to weight. Mm, it was, okay. this is a good thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. So let's do it. Slash, we're professional soccer parents. And if you don't do this, we're going to find some other kids to right, put right. into some damn little league. Right, uh, right. But anyway, so I'm really glad that um, I have that as a basis for movement. Um, but in terms of weight, uh, which I see differently, I got a lot of demons. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate that I went to um, an awesome school in Long Island and even boarding school, but awesome private school. And um, every school that we've gotten, my family has, uh, every school that we've went to, excuse me, mm-hmm. my family's got tons of scholarships, which mm-hmm. usually means that we're one of the only black kids there, right. uh, black families and black kids. And so I recall probably when I was around second grade, um, and at this time I was probably about the same size as the other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember... Everybody kind of buzzing, talking about like who had a crush on who mm-hmm. and all these kind of things, like just like everything that, you know, you do in second grade. Right. You exactly. You're in love. And but I distinctly remember nobody ever had a crush on me. Mm-hmm. And I thought at that time it was because I was black and mm-hmm. I didn't understand how race worked. Right. So I thought it wasn't like a racist thing. I just I thought black people like black people and white people like white people. Gotcha. And then as I got older and I understood race, um, the same thing though, like I, I, I never seemed to be the object of any boy's affection. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, since I know it's not about race, it has got to be about my size. Mm. Because that was the only thing that I, that was the only thing that was the biggest difference between me and my friends mm-hmm. is, so I just, I decided from an early age um, probably around, probably around puberty, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, that's where I really started to gain a lot of weight. I decided that, well, the reason why nobody wants to date me is because of my size. Mm-hmm. And I would love to say that I am more sophisticated and mature thinking than that. And now I understand that there's, that's a big complex issue and it's probably right. not much to do with size, but I'm not over it. I'm Mm. certainly not over it. There's Mm -hmm. a part of me, uh, there's a big part of me that is still not even a young girl, but just a girl, period, who wants a boy to think I'm cute. Right. And because I'm not sure, and still to this day, like I know as a grown ass woman, there's, I know there's dudes who think I'm hot, but, um, but it's still, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I'll figure it out. I'll right. figure it out real quick. Anybody who looks at me, I just want to let you know, times are tough. Right. <laughs> so. Well, that's a um, whole other podcast episode, too. Right? So, um, so I, I've been trying to do some work around it, but not, um, so far it's been an extremely slow road of mm-hmm. trying to 
get away from this notion that I have to be small for boys to like me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. Right. Um, so that's that's where the basis of my thought process around size comes in. Now, as size relates to sports, I also I was never fast. Speed mm-hmm. was not what the Mays family does. Right, right. And we, uh, not we, I, um, you know, I was always that kid that was the last one to get picked, mm-hmm. you know, for in gym. And it kind of bothered me, but it also was just like a regular thing that I expected. Mm-hmm. So it didn't stop me from participating, but mm-hmm. I had just, um, I had just known that was my place was last. Right. And softball was different though, because it wasn't a sport based in cardio and speed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I can hit a ball. That's right. Cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I can run to this base, but mm-hmm. don't make me run farther than that. Right. But I can, I can get there. And, so I think that's one reason why that sport particularly stuck, struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. And then um, and it wasn't until literally probably two, three years ago when I picked up a barbell for the first time mm. that I really understood, ooh, heifer, nobody <laughs> gives a shit about how fast you are. That's right. not what I was ever supposed to be. Exactly. Strong was a different story. Right. And... Right. I think I would have felt, I think I would have felt different, a lot different about myself as an athlete and even as an attractive woman Mm -hmm. had I seen other female role models, athletic role models my size Mm -hmm. that like where the size is an asset. I'd never seen, not until adulthood, had I seen a female athlete where their size was, uh, where their size was an asset and that was like. No, you got to lift something. You got to be a house to lift a house. Right, right. Yeah. And that's actually interesting. My, my kind of my segue into what I was going to ask you next was you mentioned when you first picked up a barbell is kind of when your perspective changed. So how did you find, you know, let's say strength sports, lifting, whatever. Did you find it or did it find you? Um, I, that's a good question. So I should actually back up from barbells for a hot mm-hmm. second. Right. Because after softball which I played from fifth grade through the end of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, bopping around, dancing, doing stuff. And then right. about a dozen years ago is when I found pole dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and pole dancing was, again, it was another sport that had nothing to do with cardio. And it's also the hardest sport I've ever done in my life. Right, right. And How did you find I, pole dancing? So I found pole uh, because it was a class at the gym. Oh, okay. Literally. Mm-hmm. It was on the schedule. It had dance in the title. I have a Beyonce complex. <laughs> you were like, so okay, this works. <laughs> it, that's exactly what I said. I was like, I could bop around and dance. Shit. Right. So I did it. Got my ass handed to me in four <laughs> ways from Tuesday. Um, and it was love from first sight. Mm-hmm. So uh, pole was my introduction to strength training. Mm-hmm. And pole gave me the courage to do at the time what I considered the boring classes mm-hmm. at the gym mm-hmm. and the scary classes because I was like, well, if this is going to make me a better pole dancer, then it's worth it for me to go to this right. conditioning class right. thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the irony of that now is that those conditioning classes are my absolute favorite in the whole world, hmm. but they were low key terrifying and I thought they all had to be boring. Right. So right. pole. And then 
what by doing poll, I met um I've met so many different people from around the world. I can't even begin to describe how fortunate mm-hmm. I am. And I've taught students of every background you can imagine. And one of them, uh, Robin, otherwise known as Geek Girl Strong, mm-hmm. she's my super homie. And I was her, I think I was her first pole teacher. So I taught her pole for probably three, four years at least. And then uh, we were just kind of tooling around and she started doing CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And she... I don't exactly remember how it came about, but I was like, so you're going to teach me how to lift or do some cool lifting thing. Right. Because at that point in my personal training career, um, I never touched a barbell and it looked cool, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I never touched it, Mm -hmm. but she knew what I was supposed to do. So Mm -hmm. I was like, Hey coach. Hey, right. So, (laughs) so straight off here. That's exactly what happened. So I got her into pole and she got me into lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's how that transition kind of happened. And now in my personal training practice, I'm, I'm super hyped because uh, next weekend I'm going to be taking a, um, a, a training course by Barbell Rehab. Mm. And this is going to be my first barbell weight specific um, thing. Uh, I've had, I've had group fitness training. I've had mm-hmm. other kinds of stuff, but I haven't had, uh, just straight like meathead, me, a meathead symposium. So oh. <laughs> a meathead symposium. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you mentioned, so you, you found pole, you found bar, the barbell, like how have those things, if, if they have impacted the way that you see yourself? So although, I separate, and I'm not sure if this is a good or bad thing. Mm-hmm. I separate how my body looks versus what it can do. Word. Mm-hmm. So I high key uh, don't like the way I look at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall a time when I ever really did. Mm-hmm. At most, I probably tolerated it fairly well. Right. And some point I might have been like, yeah, okay, I'm not that ugly. But <laughs> I've never loved the way I looked. Mm-hmm. Um, however, once I found um, strength-based movements in sports, I was like, I don't like the way I look, but I'm really excited about what I can do. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, I don't give a shit what you look like. What's your form doing? Right, right. And that was totally different. That was exciting to me. Mm-hmm. That was really great. Um and in some, I, I want to say it would start out first, I would think in spite of my size, uh-huh. I can do X, Y, and Z. Right. But now it's not, in, I'm not doing things in spite of myself. Mm-hmm. It's at this current size. Right. Here's what I'm able to do. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's where I found the, the value of myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what balances out the lack of aesthetic value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I that I have is well I know I could fight bitches right. and you know what <laughs> so, <laughs> so balance I really want you to put that on your business card um, <laughs> and your resume <laughs> because I think that is an amazing motto it's it's true it's like that you know and it's it's hilarious um and it's crazy but it really is like that's been my saving grace right is that even if i don't like the way i look 
Um, I like what I can do. Mm-hmm. And when I can lift heavier weights and do cooler shit, then I get really excited. Right. And right. that's where my pride comes in. You know, and I have to tell you, I really love your story because I think a lot of times, like, you know, as we, you know, sort of look on the landscape now and there's this, like, body positive, body acceptance of movement. Course. And it's great, right? And, well, mm. not the body pause part, but I think people learning to be more comfortable with who they are, right? But Absolutely, I think, yes. I think sometimes, though, the, the thought is, okay, well... You know, once you make that decision, then you have to automatically love yourself all the time. Otherwise, there's something <laughs> wrong with you. And it's like, no, it's more nuanced than that. And so I really appreciate that you can come on and say, hey, you know, these are some things that I really like and that have really, you know, benefit me. But here's some stuff that I'm still working through. And I think that that's great because I think it humanizes the experience for people that are listening. Right. Um, because otherwise they're like, oh, well, she loves everything about herself all the time and I don't. So there must be something wrong with me. And it's like, no, it's it's just like anything else. It's you know, it's a process like it, you know, there's some days you wake up and some days I wake up and I'm like, damn, yo, look at my shit. And some days I'm like, oh, you know, and it just it is what it is. So I really like, you know, hearing different sides to that story as opposed to always sort of, you know, people expecting it to be this Pollyanna like, you know, aha moment. And then everything is puppies and rainbows because that's just not how life works. So, you know, can we talk about some irony one time? Oh, yes, we can. So. I've actually never felt more pressured in my life mm. to try to accept and love my body mm-hmm. than before the then with the rise of body positivity. Right, right. Let's talk I, about it. Yeah, and I feel what like What do you think that's think, about? Um it's definitely about me and my own issues and projecting. Mm-hmm. And it's um you know a lot of a lot of body positivity, I think the louder voices in it, um, and no one's specific, and I, I honestly mean that, no one's specific. Mm-hmm. Um, when everyone's like, love yourself, love yourself, you're gorgeous, I'm going to value myself today, I throw up and run away mm. because I know it's what I should be doing, mm-hmm. and it's what I am most terrified to do. Mm. So it is actually, it is the biggest, like... I can't, I don't even have the guts to face that. Mm-hmm. And it actually turns me off when other people, um, you know, okay, this is prime example. Mm-hmm. I am extremely late to the Lizzo game mm. because my, so much of the hype around Lizzo has been around how she's unapologetically loving herself. Mm-hmm. And that is so damn healthy. Mm-hmm. But that message, I was like, I don't resonate with it mm-hmm. because I don't love myself. So therefore, Lizzo's got nothing for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to hear any of her songs. Right. I want to stay as far away. This this is no shame on her. Right, none, right, right. None, none. This is all 100% on me. Yeah. But because it was so personal, because this is the issue that like digs deep into my veins Mm -hmm. I can't even I couldn't even be around it and I've just slowly but surely like started kind of crawling into it because because why men great till they gotta be great Mm. like why do you have to sing the truest words my whole life right now right (laughs) it's like why are you talking directly to me (laughs) we didn't nobody asked you for that right right 
So, um, yeah, so that's an example, you know, of something that where I think a lot of people, thank goodness, they've been excited and inspired. I look at that like a shot to my heart. Mm. And I'm not, I don't want to be around it because it's so scary because it's so true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear, and I think, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, I think, you know, she evokes a lot of strong emotions. Um, and, you know, and that's fine. Like, I, I think you can certainly, and I mean, in general, you can, you know, kind of respect her hustle and not necessarily oh, yeah. feel like she resonates with you personally. So I don't, I definitely don't think you're like alone in that thinking at all. Um, but, so something else I wanted to kind of talk to since we're on the subject a little bit, um, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit about kind of the Bozzy, Bozzy body positive and, you know, kind of like, uh, like one of the things that I've sort of noticed, and I guess I, I could kind of call myself an, uh, an observer because to me, that movement, not necessarily body positivity, but the movement around acceptance and fat acceptance was started by black women. I mean, let's be clear, black femmes, right? And I feel like I feel like the messaging that has morphed from that that I see has been colonized a little gentrified, yeah, I guess you could you say. And I was wondering, like, you know, it does that like is that part of kind of what makes you uncomfortable with it? I know for me, and like I said, I say that as someone who, you know, not necessarily um, it was specifically intended for in terms of, of body sizes. I'm not a, a bigger person, but I'm curious, like, how does, has that affected you or sort of the way that you kind of look at that movement? I, I think, you know, what comes, the, the thing that comes to mind is specifically the word curvy. Mm-hmm. So when the word curvy, my introduction to it, you know, after the shape after the third grade right. definition of it mm -hmm. um, was it for me, it was like a nice way of saying fat. Right. And so I immediately, I'm not a, I am not angry or offended at all. If mm -hmm. someone describes me as curvy, because generally like that's, that's a really awesome and nice thing for them to say. And it's true, but mm -hmm. I personally will never call myself curvy because mm -hmm. I felt like the only time I saw it was when you're just a nice trying a nice way to say you're fat and mm -hmm. i also will never refer to myself as fat and mm. i co-sign other people who do right 100 percent. but i will never in my lifetime refer to myself as fat in a positive way so what's the um, descriptor that you would use to describe yourself plus size i'll okay. even take i'll take plus size i'll mm -hmm. take overweight okay. um larger person that's totally fine with me mm -hmm. and Again, no shade to anybody who is down for the curvy and the fat and right. the fluffies. It's just not resonated. But I, I also say this because I think curvy is a specific example of something that got gentrified, but not by race, but by mm. size. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it was like, all right, plus size chicks, we're going to rock this curvy thing. But then anybody with a butt cheek was like, ooh, I got curves. And mm. it's not that you don't, <laughs> but it's like... It got watered down so yeah. much. And it was like, I thought this was a term of endearment for, at least I, I thought, this is my own interpretation mm -hmm. of, of curvy was a new way of saying plus size. And so when I saw a whole bunch of people who did not uh, identify as plus size 
or I or I don't think I would not consider them plus size. These bitches walk around saying curvy. I'm like, the fuck? Shut the right. Fuck up. Right. And, you know, with body positivity, too, because it's a fairly vague sentence just on its not sentence phrase on its own right everybody's trying to snatch it and claim that they're body positive mm-hmm. when them hoes is not right and i don't think anybody is gonna look you in the face and say i'm not body positive i don't support everyone no one's that stupid i mean some right. people are but for the most part no one's that stupid but in practice people rocking with all different kinds of bodies that's like a fraction of the people are actually holding up their word. Yeah. So, you know, that and also, I just think the phrase in particular, body positive, I think it's just cheesy as fuck. Mm -hmm. So, I don't, I've been described it tons and no worries, but I'll never use that for myself. Right, right. You don't rock with it. Yeah, and it's interesting too when you mention the word curvy. One of the things that I find interesting that I, I tend to observe is that people don't mind the word curvy if you're the quote-unquote right type of curvy I feel yeah yep it seems to me that and you know you mentioned size and all of that like if you you know when people think of you know people used to associate the word curvy with Marilyn Monroe right so Mm -hmm. if you take that imagery and then look at other people that try to embrace that word but maybe they're not really given the space to do that it's kind of like okay so curvy actually means still acceptably large, you know, with a small waist and big boobs yeah. and like yeah. nice hips. But if you don't fit that, you know, that shape, then you're not curvy. You're just fat. Like it's just it's really interesting yeah. to me how again how that word, you know, there's there's limitations and restrictions to being able to use it either to define yourself or for other people to define other people. So it's kind of like it isn't even really a descriptor at all because just like everything else, it's completely subjective, right? Um, yeah, very much so. And it also thing you know, with size, things vary so much culture to culture too. Absolutely. And you know, so I, I honestly feel that you know, descriptors like plus size and curvy and voluptuous. So I think there's less colonization happening Mm -hmm. with that i think it's more of you know in different races and cultures have different totally different interpretations of it you know in white america i'm huge by some Mm -hmm. people's standards Mm -hmm. i'm probably about 255 260 right now Mm -hmm. i'm five four um and so some people it's like i'm the antichrist and even Mm -hmm. according you know it's medical charts i'm like Morbid obesity class two or some shit. I, I'm dead. I'm talking to you for right. the life. Right, apparently. right, right, right. <laughs> you know? And so there's that. But then yeah. flip side over to black communities and like black, I'm like, ah, medium, probably. Yeah, right, exactly. Medium average. And it's thick. so, it's so, yeah, <laughs> thick, exactly. And so it's different and it's so different. And where I think the notions of colonization happen is because when you take your lens of what you consider plus size and put it on someone else's culture. Right. And then if those lenses aren't the same prescription, everybody ends up fucked for one way or the other. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, and just like you said, I mean, and let's talk about it. The lens is typically a white lens, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's the lens that's, that's being held up as the standard and that's being used. So if you use yes. that lens 
all the time, then nothing's ever going to measure up unless it measures, like you said, it's directly in line with what that looks like. And, you know, I would say more often than not, that's not, I mean, that's really not the standard at all. If you look at just kind of across, you know, the world and sort of the average woman and the average person and all of that. So it's, again, I think you're right. It kind of starts from the top down, like, and you, and I, I think with that, it's made me more sympathetic to certain people. And because let's, let's be clear, like, you know, even though like in our own communities, you know, there are definitely, um, you know, folks that embrace, you know, big girls, right. But you also Mm -hmm. have those people and I have them in my family too, that are kind of like, Oh, you know, you getting, you know, and they themselves might be big, but it's like, Oh, you're putting some weight on. And it's kind of like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? But if you think about what has been foist upon us for, for centuries, of course, they're going to think that, you know, we're just now coming out of this, like, idea that, you know, in order to be whatever, you have to reach that standard of whiteness, right? You know, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, within our communities of, like, Black, because I've been thinking about this for the last, like, two, three days. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking of, like, you know what? How accepting are we really of size? Mm-hmm. I feel like... We're generally speaking, yes, we are more accepting of larger women than the like traditional European standards, right? But there's there's caveats to that. I yeah. think well, I'm going back to something you mentioned before. You know, there's this whole troop. If anybody listening is not familiar of like the good fatty, mm-hmm. meaning. If you're larger or overweight, it's only okay if you're constantly dieting or exercising. Exactly. Yeah. You're basically making an effort to Mm -hmm. try and not look like yourself by any means possible. Right. And the second that you deviate from that plan, then you're the bad fat. Right. Right. And, um... But, you know, going back to the race thing in particular, I feel like how that can apply is you're if you're the thick black girl, then you're straight chilling like you got boobs, you got ass. Great. Mm -hmm. But I but I absolutely think that there's far more limitations with that than we're led on to believe Mm -hmm. in reality, in practice. I also think that there is as probably one of the only semi true stereotype well this is not even in true semi positive stereotypes is that all thick black women are excited and proud and they're not insecure about their size mm, and i actually think that is con- considerably more damaging right than any other outside forces and you know and not that we need role models of black women who are constantly talking about why they don't like themselves or their insecurities like i understand why we as a people don't have time right generally speaking to dig into like to show to show any vulnerability we don't have space to ever be vulnerable as black women or soft or scared or any of that stuff yeah and it's extremely damaging um and i think i was literally just thinking i think i'm going to do a facebook post later or even Mm. instagram just shout out to all the black girls are insecure about their weight right because you would think 
from pop culture, no matter who's making it, that we all loved it and we none of us ever had weight issues or self-esteem issues. Right. And it can make you feel like then when you do have weight and self-esteem, weight and self-esteem issues to work through, like, are you the only one? Right. Or Or that it's not normal or something's wrong with you or you're just weak. And it's like, no, it's just a normal part of life. I mean, it is, it is, right? Yeah. You know, and also um, that... And I've been, I'm extremely fortunate because I've never had an eating disorder, mm-hmm. but I, um, there's also a stereotype because that disordered eating and eating disorders, they come right along with weight and self-esteem and there's never ever conversations in black communities about disordered eating and right. eating disorders, right? And uh, you know, amongst other mental health issues mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, we are struggling through, but haven't addressed as a whole, right? And that I also think is really, really, really damaging because there could be habits that people have that they don't recognize as mm-hmm. being. Um, they don't recognize them as being something more than just like, oh, everyone goes through this or, right. oh, like that's normal to eat like this. Like, no, it's not. Right. It's not normal to, you know, be damn near in tears before or after a meal. I mean, right. there were many times like I was never, I never had an eating disorder, but um, certainly disordered eating, like a mm-hmm. lot of disordered eating, meaning I would be so obsessed so obsessed with every meal mm-hmm. of what am I going to eat? Does it have enough protein? Okay, that's good. We got the protein down. How right. much does it cost? Is it something I like? Okay, right. if they're vegetables, how many carbs are in this? What right. carbs did you have before? Are you allowed to have this carb now? Well, it's midnight. I shouldn't be eating because I know I'm supposed to go to bed, but I'm starving right. and all I have is a slice of pizza in the fridge and... Mm-hmm. So like that, that's not okay. And I know I'm not the only one who's gone through that by a long shot, but I feel like that conversation does not happen nearly enough in brown circles. Right. At least the black ones. I don't want to speak to other people's. Right. Talk about my own peeps right now. Right, right, right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's really interesting. Like one of the things when you were saying that, that, um, really struck me in that, you know, I think for me, particularly being a parent, like it's really made me very closely examine um, a lot of things, but, you, you know, it's particularly my relationship with food and eating, even though I have a son, like I still think it's really important to kind of, model, oh, it is. you know, better behaviors or better things that I grew up with. And I think one of the things that really struck me was um, one year at Thanksgiving, um, I dinner was at, I was making Thanksgiving dinner and there were some um, folks over to our house and it was probably like, I don't know, 10 or 11 in the morning and my son wanted something to eat. And so I was like, yeah, baby, you know, whatever, you know, cause he's like, mom, can I have so much? I was like, yeah. And someone that was at our house was like, you know, you can't eat anything. You're going to ruin your dinner. I was like, dinner's not until five o'clock. Yeah. Like, no, he's not going to not eat all day so he can stuff himself at dinner. Like he can eat whenever he wants to eat, you yes. know, and it's just so interesting because that was just something I heard and even something I would do, you know, growing up in a black family on Thanksgiving, you, you know, you don't eat nothing all day. So you can get it in <laughs> at Thanksgiving dinner. And it's like, so what you the can f- go in. girl, and it's like, what I the know, fuck, right. <laughs> 
And it's so interesting because <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know. That's why I'm, and that's why I can't. It's so interesting because, you know, as I kind of went through my own journey with training and working out and fitness and bodybuilding and all this stuff, like I started kind of getting into this space where because I was so used to eating at regular intervals, I did that on Thanksgiving too. So I still got up and ate breakfast, still got up and had, you know, a mid afternoon snack or meal or whatever. And then I would eat dinner and I would just eat dinner. Like I'd eat dinner. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't, I wasn't feeling like, okay, this is the last supper. So I got to shovel all this food in. And I remember, you know, people would remark like, that's all you're going to have. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'm good. You know, if I want, if I wanted to go back and have more, I would, but it was that whole process that really started me to thinking about like what you talked about, like what we just kind of see as normalcy. A lot of that is disordered eating, you know, yeah. and it's just like, mm-hmm. damn, you know, and I don't want, I, I, started thinking, I don't want my kid to to think like that. So if we get up on, you know, whatever morning, Christmas morning, Easter, whatever, and he wants to eat whatever he eats, that's fine. He can still have dinner. And even if he doesn't eat everything inside of dinner, that's okay too. You know, there's like, it's going to be some more later, right? Um, So it's interesting, like you mentioned, those things are so like, I think sometimes interwoven into our culture that we don't think about them as being what one would consider, you know, disordered or, you know, whatever kind mm-hmm. of eating that we do. But it's, and even just the whole, you know, not eating all day and then binging at, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner and eating until you get sick and all kinds of shit we do. Not that we're mm-hmm. just the only ones that do that, but um, of course, it's, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting that you, you bring that up. And, and I think it all comes back to the point that you said that we don't spend enough time talking about these things in our community because they do happen you know and and i think sometimes too um the you know again the face of disordered eating or the perceived face is thin white and rich right yeah so Mm -hmm. if you fall outside of that and there are a lot of big people there are a lot of fat people however they want to describe themselves that have eating disorders too and they don't get the treatment that they need for that very reason that it's like they look at them and go well you can't possibly have an eating disorder you know, or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, come on, like, you know, that we're not all a monolith, I guess, is, is kind of the point I'm making. Absolutely. You know, and um, I don't know if this veers off topic too much, but when you just mentioned about getting proper medical treatment, um, I, I have to make this, uh, I, in case people don't know, there are countless, countless stories of larger patients Mm -hmm. going to see medical providers and being completely dismissed because of their size. Um, And I've been extremely lucky because I consider myself the small end of plus. Mm -hmm. So depending on the store, like I can rock an Old Navy extra large, but I'm still bang bras at Lane Bryant. Right, right, right. And so any who will... Um, I've been extremely fortunate because I haven't had any like major medical issues that Mm -hmm. have been, that this has affected me personally, but, um, my clients, my family, I see it all the time where people are going in and they're like, here are the following symptoms, things that I'm going through. Something is really wrong. And the first and sometimes the only thing that a medical provider would say was, well, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. Well, lose weight. Cool story, bro. My lung is collapsing. Exactly. Well, lose weight. Like, right. that's not how this goes. And I recall um, I went to 
a sleep specialist mm-hmm. um, because I'm just, I want to take a nap all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I actually went in to have a sleep apnea test. Mm-hmm. And before I had the sleep, ap- I can't remember if it was before or after the actual test, but um, I remember the doctor, he was a really nice guy. And um, I was like, oh, feeling good about this, straight chilling. And then I looked at the printout that he gave, which is like mm-hmm. a summary of our visit. Right. And it was, you know, talking about um, the sleep stuff, like, this blood work looks okay. This one can be approved. Blah, blah, blah. Morbid obesity due Ugh. to excess calories. What? And here's the thing. I'm not denying that from a scientific standpoint, I'm morbidly obese. But he said not one word of this in person to me. Right. So my last impression of what was otherwise a good productive meeting with a doctor was, well, on this list of things that don't matter here's what I really think of you, morbid obesity and due to excess calorie consumption. And I was like, Oh, jigga what? Like, right. (laughs) If you thought this was an issue, why don't you at least say it to me in person? Say something. Yeah. You know? And then I had another experience with, um, another provider who I still like, still co-sign, still rock with her. But, um, we were discussing weight, which I told her ahead of time. I'm extremely sensitive about mm-hmm. numbers. Mm-hmm. And she's awesome. And she's great. And then out of nowhere, she's like, have you considered bariatric surgery? Excuse me? And I am 3,000% pro-surgery. A mm-hmm. hundred thousand times over pro-surgery. Because I've seen that process from an up-close point of view. And I know damn well I am not a candidate for Mm -hmm. various reasons it doesn't make sense for my lifestyle it Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense there's a lot of reasons why i'm not the person right so for someone to just jump in without even looking at blood test numbers first and other things it was like let's fix your weight in this very serious very dramatic you know way it was like the fuck you talking about right right yeah i mean it's just so like you said that's just such a major thing to just kind of drop it out there. And it's like, well, there was no lead up. There was no, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. let me tell you my history, my background. And, oh, child, and listen. And again, that's a whole other episode we could talk about forever and ever. Yes. Amen. Because it's yes. just, and then like you said, you throw the, the, the you know, the racial disparity in there too, child. Mm, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the things too, I wanted to, to kind of talk about a little bit. So you, you know, you mentioned how you got into pole. You mentioned how you got into um, strength sports. How did you... How did how did pull and training and all that sort of go from kind of your passion to your career? Because um, I'm assuming you were doing something else and then you found this and this is kind of where you ended up. So talk, can you talk to us a little bit about what that looked like? Sure. So I at the time when I started pull, I was actually working for um, a big nonprofit in Harlem mm-hmm. and I was a career coach. So oh, okay. I actually worked. I was like a long distance guidance counselor, career coach. I Mm -hmm. worked with college students who, um, their families were based in New York City, but they went to school all over the East Coast. Oh, okay. And and I really loved it. And that time, again, it was just a class that I took on the schedule. Mm -hmm. And then the class became, ooh, this is my favorite class. Right. And then it became a hobby, then a serious hobby, Mm -hmm. and then side hustle. Mm. And by the time I got to side hustle, I was in 
Uh, I was I moved away from Harlem and I was working for a more conservative nonprofit, but mm-hmm. still kind of doing that long distance guidance career coaching kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I have I was I was in the poll closet online, <laughs> and uh, for good reason because I wanted to keep my jobs. Right, right. And until I wasn't, and mm-hmm. uh, essentially. I was given an ultimatum mm. um, from one of my jobs, um, a, a light, light, light ultimatum. This is my interpretation mm-hmm. of the situation was, you know, take down all your shit offline or else. And at well, that damn, point, that's not light at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't have the orals, um, but a phrase I will never, ever forget was a former manager before I got fired from that job mm. was saying, consider your cyber reputation. Oh. And um, so I remember sitting in the office and, you know, it wasn't just like walking one day like, hey, Roger fired. Mm-hmm. And I was fucking up with some other things at the job too. Not mm-hmm. enough to get fired, but I was not like the ideal, super perfect employee. Mm-hmm. But the... um. And I've also, I've been fired multiple times mm-hmm. um, from full-time jobs. And one concern that people always have is, well, we're okay with it, but what would happen if, fill in the blank, found mm-hmm. out? What mm-hmm. would we do? What we And so people used to use that excuse all the time right. of, we think it's fine, but these other people, yeah, mm-hmm. they might not react to it well. Mm-hmm. And... I would have had more respect if they just would have said, we're not okay with it. We're not okay with it, right. You know, because if you're saying you like me, but other people not might not like you, so fuck you. What about standing up for me then if this becomes exactly. an issue? If you claim to like me as much as you say you do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so it was March 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was the last time I got fired from a job. <laughs> Um, that last job though, I 100% deserve to be fired from because mm-hmm. I was terrible at it. Um, mm. not because the job was bad or I was stupid, but at that point I was actually working two full-time jobs or the equivalent oh, wow. of it. Yeah. And so I was, I was working seven days a week for a year oh and I genuinely believe I was so tired that my cognitive skills were shot to hell. Of course. And so I was making so many mistakes Mm. i was barely spelling my own name right and so like i said i deserve to get fired from that last job Mm -hmm. um i don't i don't rumor has it they knew about poll but it was i I don't know right either way that's fine so since then i've been rocking this full-time diva since Mm -hmm. march 2014 okay wow wow five years almost right no yeah, five, almost six. six wow, amazing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, like, you, you mentioned, um, you, you know, sort of working full-time and all that. So tell me what a typical day looks like for you, like, in terms of your own training, in terms of the classes that you teach. Like, what is that? what does that schedule look like? And how do you, like, kind of make sure that you are taking care of yourself? You know, I think it's actually easier to describe sort of, like, what my week looks okay. like. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, te- I typically teach... Uh, right now, about three or four group fitness classes mm-hmm. uh, per week, and some of those are pole dancing classes, just straight mm-hmm. pole. Others are. Um, I've started a program uh, called Rosfit, mm-hmm. um, and basically, I started doing my own 
breed of classes that's half pole dancing, half small group personal training and combining my two loves and that's been pretty cool so Mm -hmm. i do group classes like i said about three four times a week and then the other times um i'm working with private clients Mm -hmm. right now i've got anywhere between i want to say six to eight appointments per week Mm -hmm. um i would like to triple that Mm, okay and yes i i definitely definitely would like to get closer to 15 appointments Mm -hmm. a week 15 to 20 um so i i do that and some of my client or some of my clients most of it has happening in chelsea uh, which is a neighborhood sort of in the middle of manhattan Mm -hmm. but i also work in brooklyn and greenpoint and some other places and when i'm not in new york city where i'm based um i do a fair amount of traveling and Mm -hmm. when i travel for example um, I'm going to the UK for the first two weeks of March. Oh, And nice. I'm doing specialty pole workshops. Mm-hmm. So I'll be starting in Edinburgh and working my way down to the middle, the Midlands, the middle of the country, mm-hmm. and visiting different pole studios. And I have about five or six signature workshops that I host and so okay. that I teach people. So uh, that's, that's what I'm doing. And what does your training look like? Like, how does Raj train herself? What do you do? Um, I guess... I want to tell you that there's a plan, but it's <laughs> haphazard. So right. one thing, yeah, let, let me let me be real. So one thing is I don't, I'm not going to go to the gym on my day off mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. There was a time where I could do that, not in the boat. Right, so right. So I work out with my clients okay, or right after them because I also now love and need the energy of other people around me to mm. do stuff and mm-hmm. so if I can come into the gym bust something out and then leave but I just have more fun and my clients like to see me die a little bit too right when right we do stuff together mm-hmm. and that works out really well for everybody involved so typically if I've let's say I've got three or four clients in a day then I might bounce in and out I might do like 10 or 15 minutes or specific exercises with some with one client, and uh-huh. then the next client I might do again another few minutes with them. It okay. kind of bounce in and out, um, and my time between clients is usually broken down to three parts. It's um, me training myself and lifting something, mm-hmm. um, and then lunch, and then laptop. Okay, that makes so, sense. So yeah, like two it. of those three things are are how I compose my day. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, just and since you're kind of on sort of both sides of the of the fence now, you've, you know, as someone who participates in these things and someone who's teaching and training, like, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, sort of what the face of whether it's pole or strength sports or what you've been doing looks like. We know typically what it looks like and it doesn't look like us a lot of the time. Um, And I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think are some of the reasons that, you know, a lot of black folk just aren't coming to these types of sports, maybe in droves or, um, you know, the participation has been particularly low. Sure. So there's a number of reasons. One of them, um, and this isn't just for people of color, but it hits us extra hard is money. Mm -hmm, Gold is not a cheap sport. It has specialty equipment Mm -hmm. and 
um, you know, going to a gym. There, there now there's definitely affordable gym options right. in different kinds of neighborhoods. But for the most, you know, for so long before Planet Fitness and Blink was popping up, were popping up. Then it was, well, do you have $150 a month? Right. And um, so I understand that that's one perceived thing. Um, I think another thing is, you know, there are fitness role models who are black. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, as Jay-Z once said, all us blacks got our sports and entertainment. And right. he ain't not never lied. Basically. Um, however, um, I do believe size is a big thing. Mm. I think it is just import i think it is just the biggest factor as race is and you know because as i mentioned in my own experience i i got over race at a fairly young age got over in the sense of i can confidently tell people to suck my black ass right right right. (laughs) you know with no 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 hesitation okay but in regards to size though there's still you know we're we're told a very narrow um, fairy tale of fitness. Mm-hmm. We're told that fitness, A, people are supposed to work out to lose weight. Right. And that's the primary narrative. B, that fitness has to be miserable and mm-hmm. you have to go hard or go home. Right. And C, and it's got to be boring. And D, if you're not playing basketball, then what else do black people do? Right. And so... I, I truly believe that there when people see somebody they can resonate with, that's the game changer mm-hmm. end of story. Mm-hmm. It is you representation matters in more ways than I ever knew mm. that I could ever Amen imagine. And I've been extremely fortunate because I can't tell you how many students I've had that have crossed over state lines that have flew from different countries, mm-hmm. done all this wild shit to take like a regular class with me. And I'm right. like, why would you drive all the way from Pennsylvania mm-hmm. two and a half hours to New York City to pick up a dumbbell? <laughs> right, like, right. People near you, they're like, yeah, there are people, but you're the only one who looks like me. Mm. And this feeling, and this is this is a human thing, you right. know, that transcends race. Nobody wants to be alone. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be the only one who sucks at something. Right. And they don't, unless they're going to be the best, it's really hard to ask people, hey, can you go out of your way to publicly fail? At a right. <laughs> right, right. And, and so, spend money to do it. <laughs> and spend money to do it. Like, that shit is wild. Right. So I understand why there is that gym intimidation. Mm-hmm. And that terror about it. Yeah. You know, and it's um, it's such a shame because I only do workouts that I like. Right. And that I have fun. If I don't like it, we're not doing it. Right. And in that way, I've gotten, um, in that way, that's why I love the gym. I do mm-hmm. shit I like. And that's why I have such a positive connection with it. But there's so many people and so many people of color women of color that haven't had the opportunity and haven't had the guts i think in some cases to try different things to figure out what they might like and sometimes that's environmental factors beyond their control Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's just sometimes it's also just straight fear and you know let's let's just let let's make decisions based on fear Mm -hmm. rather than 
decisions based on the amazing possibilities of what could be. So what advice would you give those women? There's women listening right now, um, you know, sisters all over and like, damn, you know, I see her videos. I've seen her posts and like polls. She's like, it's hella fun, but I'm just kind of nervous about being the only or being, you know, the only big person, the only black person, whatever. What advice would you give those women? So number one, um, stalk whichever instructor is going to be teaching a class that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. All instructors, if they're, well, most of us, The ones who are really good at marketing, we're going to have videos. We're going to have a lot of content online. So you don't go in there totally blind. Right. You can check out what that person's doing and you can get an idea of their personality and what flavor they are. Mm -hmm. Number two, go to the class about 10, 15 minutes early. Introduce yourself to the instructor and tell them I'm here because I'm trying to get some good karma. Not because, (laughs) right? you know, and I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing. If that is a, if the instructor is worth their weight in sweat and sneakers, they will keep a special eye out for you, and they'll also make sure to like come around and check on you, make sure that you're not drowning, mm-hmm. you know, by yourself. And listen, we know there's a lot of fitness instructors who are trash bucket, and that they won't do that. Right. And if you have, and a lot of people, they'll go, they'll do these things that I'm talking about. They'll have one bad experience and they're like, that's it. Not going to the gym for another 10 years. Yeah. But, and I, I don't want to, you know, like belittle their experiences, but that's a little crazy to let your entire fit life be dictated by one person. Right. Right. And, or one person or one bad experience. Mm-hmm. And it is hard as fuck to go back and to try it again after that experience or multiple experiences. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not sure if there's another way of finding something that works for you until mm-hmm. you just try it. And right. I, I think people also, um, also a good teacher will know if they see new people, you're going to be awful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you're yeah. doing. You're yeah. going to be just set, the, set that expectation. <laughs> you better set that expectation. And honestly, when I see new people, doesn't matter who they are, when they come in and for pole, for example, when they come in and they're horrible at pole dancing, I am so flattered that they came in in the first place. Right. They could fall and break their ass six times. I will be so proud and yeah. so excited that I have fresh meat to hang out <laughs> with. I don't right. care about that. And they trusted you enough to take that chance. Exactly. You know, and, and for the fitness instructors out there, please shower your clients with gratitude that right. they trusted you. There's a lot of people who are working through serious trauma yep. related to weight and size and the gym and exercising. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, you might not know it, but if somebody comes to you with all that trauma and still makes an effort, it is your job to incubate their hope. Mm-hmm. You don't I love that. ever let their hope go, ever go out of your way mm-hmm. to find successes and tell them about it. So that way they have a reason. They already know 10 reasons why they right. shouldn't do it. They need 10 reasons why they should come back. I love it. I love it. 
So one of the other things I wanted to um, just ask you about quickly, um, you know, you're you're pretty active on social media. And one of the things that I love about your page um, is that you not only use your platform to talk about what it is that you do, but you also talk about stuff that, you know, is some people would consider taboo, whether it's race or politics uh-huh. or fat phobia or homophobia, whatever. And, you know, some athletes don't necessarily want to do that for whatever reason. Um, Maybe it's fear of criticism or, you know, losing um, opportunities. I don't know. But has that been intentional on your part to use your platform in that way? And how do you think it's generally been received? I think some some is intentional, but beyond the intentionality, it's just me just being me. Right, right. And, you know, something something happens when you've kind of reached, I mean, I don't want to say rock bottom like I was Mm -hmm. living in the streets or anything. I wasn't. Right. (laughs) But when you get to, like, a career crisis. Yeah. Like, you've been fired. Like, basically the worst thing that happens, happens. Right. Then it's like, well, shit. I don't have shit else to do. Might as well just be my whole damn self. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, you're not going to get fired from nothing again. Right. So, I started doing that more because, why the fuck not? Yeah. It has been a tremendous asset. And it has, you know, people, I think people really appreciate that if I'm saying something, it's, it's genuine and it's honest and it's from my heart. Mm-hmm. And even if it's different than what's in their heart, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's right. Just, it, it's me. And um, I, people also are, people crave authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also crave authenticity. So I try and put out content that really represents who I am mm-hmm. and the totality of me as a human. Um, you know, especially because I want to present fitness and athletics as accessible. Right. And I want to, I wanted to portray it as something that every regular ass human can benefit from and can have fun while doing. Mm-hmm. But if you can't, if you can't see the human behind the athlete, then I can't, I can't convince anybody to join me. So I think it's really important that people see the human behind the athlete and how the human fuels the athleticism. Mm-hmm. I love it. So this is the part in the show where I get to ask you a few random questions and get all in your business. Sure. Um, so the first one is, you know, we talked about this a, a second ago, but what does self-care look like for you? Um, I would say right now it's mm-hmm. trying to reach out for help, but to mm. use the help that's offered. Mm-hmm. Because I am the stereotype of Miss Strong, independent, I don't need anybody, I'm mm-hmm. invincible, I will figure out all my problems on my own and sludge through the mud barefoot. Right. And take way too much pride in doing that. And that's not bad, but it's also, um, it is probably my, one of my biggest faults, if not my biggest fault, mm. is I don't accept help, I don't let it in, I don't seek it um, until people kind of force it on me. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, February has been, it's been slower for me business-wise, and I've been trying to actually tell people, you know, like, Roz, how you doing? I'm like, you know, I'm okay, but things right. could be better. Right. And by doing that, I've had, I, I've always known that I've been spoiled with support from people, 
But mm. people's first reaction is like, all right, well, how are we going to fix it? Let's do right. this. What do you want me to do? And even just, just having that as a reminder has been really important. And mm-hmm. it's been really helpful. And because, you know, this super small 10 seconds of me being the big V word, vulnerable. Right. I, because I'm, I see the benefits, now I'm like, okay, maybe I can actually open up and do this a little bit more often because I see how there are some good things that come with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's the biggest way that I've been trying to care for myself and that I have to continue caring for myself. I love it. What's on your playlist? Like when you either, um, you know, you're just kind of training on your own or you're just, you know, bopping around and chilling. What's on your playlist? Oh, let's see. So I have, I have a love playlist. Okay. I have a sex playlist. Oh, oh, what? Have, All right, man. Look, yeah. I might need to get that offline. Those are, yeah, those are two different lists. Those are two different lists. Uh, <laughs> she said those are proven. <laughs> I love it. Um, then I've got like, the all-purpose jams. Okay. That's what I call it. Um, and I, then I've got, um, I have a bed, I also have a bedtime slower jazz solo, solo piano. Oh, playlist. nice. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but reached the last week though, for some reason, I've been in like a Lilith Fair 1998 spell. Oh, and wow. Yeah. There's been bunch of melissa etheridge on there a lot of more sets always on there um a bunch of white guys with guitars (laughs) she said a bunch of white guys with guitars and why do i know exactly who you're talking about (laughs) like think z100 right 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 oh that's so funny yeah i've been really into it so um it kind of changes but you know my staples jill scott beyonce Mm -hmm. jay-z um and just got Beyonce, Jay Z, um, Lil Wayne, Stevie Wonder. Okay. Uh, and yeah, and then I like, like it. Basically, anything recorded between '95 and 2008. I love it. I love it. Okay, I like it. That's auntie music. That's all yeah, right. That, that, that's <laughs> right there. <laughs> so it's the Last Supper. It's your Last Supper on this earth. What are you eating? Um, so I'll be drinking a lot. Okay. That too. Uh, It'll be a mix of dark liquor. It'll be a good, nice bourbon. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also going to be tequila, which I consider the dark liquor of white liquors. And (laughs) think about it. Okay. I like it. I like it. Then I'll probably have uh, a cheeseburger. I have a little bit of, of cheeseburger, chicken Parmesan hero. Mm. And then some cookie dough ice cream. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it all. So you're a superhero. Mm-hmm. What's your superpower? Paying rent in New York City. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> Listen, my bank account acts brand new every single month. Listen. I've like been doing this. Your bank like, account is like, we do, we do not know her. <laughs> we know every month. I'm like, how the hell are we going to do it this time? And I scrounge up, I scrounge up money. <laughs> sometimes I'm a scrounge, sometimes it is. I figure it out. But figure that honestly, out. every time that that check clears, it feels a little bit miracle-like. Right, right. That is hilarious. 
Um, so since this is February and uh, Valentine's Day just passed, oh. what sound, smell, and taste most remind you of love? Oh, wow. Um, shit, do I know? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think if I had a Valentine, I think it would be different. But this past few weeks, uh, my mind has been so overly occupied with business stress mm -hmm. that that has been the dominating emotion. Mm -hmm, stress mm -hmm. so i haven't even thought i mean i love valentine's day yeah and it could I, be like from your childhood or just any kind of love not necessarily romantic love yeah i can tell my favorite valentine's day um my favorite valentine uh memory was actually probably about 12 something years ago i was mm -hmm. still living at home with my parents in long island after college and i said you know what i'm gonna have a me day in new york city I'm going to go to Dean and Luke. I'm going to buy fancy food. And I was like, I'm not going to be lonely because I'm going to treat myself. I was lonely for oh, most of the day. And I tried to convince myself, like, eat the special donut. You won't feel lonely. I was. Right. Um, so when I then, though, I came, I was taking a train back home to Long Island. And I don't know if I had had tears at that point in the day. I'm sure I had. But mm -hmm. when I came home, my parents... Uh, they were in their bedroom. My mom had made a seafood feast that they were mm -hmm. eating off an ironing board because they were watching uh, the All-Star Game and the slam mm -hmm. dunk contest. And so I'm like, hey, Ross, come in. We have some, like, extra food. And so I'm snacking on, like, the stuffed shrimp they had and, like, Aww. scallops or whatever. Something, and it was like, uh, I just, just, I was like, okay, I'm not alone. Right. And right. that, um, I probably, I should probably tell them that, but that Aww. was, um, that was the moment because that day I remember feeling like shit and mm -hmm. then at least it was like, okay, well you've come home and you're not, you're not alone. Right. So they saved that Valentine's day mm -hmm. big time. Aw, I love it. That's awesome. All right. So here's, this is, whew, this one's a doozy. So are you ready? Bring it. Brace yourself. What's the blackest thing you've ever done? Oh. I want to say, oh, this is one, this might be, be the blackest, but it's close. So <laughs> one time, a couple years ago, I had to fight some mice in my apartment. Oh my God. I don't do that. <laughs> I will fight bugs all day. Mm -hmm. You give me something with a tail and a rodent. Oh I yeah. I don't. Mm -mm. Like a little schoolgirl, extremely fast. So I had actually put out traps. Uh huh. Caught one underneath my sink. Oh. Like, oh, holy fuck! And so then it's like midnight. So of course I like ran out of my apartment. I was like, somebody's gotta be on the street. Who can pick <laughs> this shit up? And so it was one of my sketchy neighbors was there. Uh huh. And so I was like, oh my god, I need you. So he came. He wasn't scared because he's a city kid through right. and through. And to thank him, I gave him a shot of Hennessy. So. You know what? I like that. It's <laughs> so, like, I don't have anything to give you, but do you want... Here's some, here's some dark liquor. Yes, do you want nectar? And I bet he dogs? accepted it gladly. You're damn right he took that shot happily. I was like, ah. <laughs> so, That is hilarious. So, so 
I just I want to ask you a couple of little word association questions. Um, so I'm just going to say whatever it is and you respond with whatever word comes to your mind first. Right. Sure. So. Um, love is. Complicated. Yeah. Okay. Roz is. Tired. Mm, damn. I felt that. Yep. <laughs> Strength is. Fun. Black is. Awesome. I love that. So I want to finish this up with, um, what would Roz of today say to 13-year-old Roz and 21-year-old Roz? What kind of advice or words of encouragement would she give them? I think... One, definitely, I would tell both of those Razes to look at um, female power lifters mm. because they're examples of women who are larger and in some cases a lot larger than average mm-hmm. who are celebrated in their respective sport. So that would be extraordinarily important. Mm-hmm. Especially thirteen-year-old Roz, mm-hmm. um, and also um, for twenty-one-year-old Roz too. I would also tell thirteen-year-old thirteen-year-old Roz, please don't work so hard, because when I was in thirteen, but like all through teenage years, um, I had two, if not sometimes three, summer jobs, mm. and not because I was trying to like support a family or do anything like none of that it's just because i was like oh i love money so if i work <laughs> i get money that's okay awesome. but it totally set the tone for my workaholism right mm, now yeah and so that's when i got in the habit of all of this of i will work myself until i can't pick up my foot mm-hmm. um, you know particularly those two and i think um and then you know for 21 year old Roz. I, I want to say um, it's okay to want better for yourself mm. in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And just because somebody's nice doesn't mean that you guys are a good match and mm. that you should be together. Yeah, I think, yeah. I love yeah. that. That is awesome. This has been such a fun conversation and such a pleasure to sit down and chit chat with you, just like I knew it would be. Um, so where can the people find you on the Internet, Miss Roz? Sure. Well, I've made stalking pretty easily for mm-hmm. people who want to do it. I'm Roz, R-O-Z, the mm-hmm. diva. So mm-hmm. Roz the diva. Um, that's Instagram. That's my website. That's mm-hmm. Facebook. That is everything is Roz the Diva. Okay. And then is there also information on like your website and stuff if people wanted to take a class with you or find out how to get in touch with you for personal training? Absolutely. So I have my website has all my personal training info. Okay. Sign up right from the website. I also have my entire teaching schedule of every class, every show, everything that I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. including registration links right from my calendar from my website. 
So I've, I, I'm not kidding when I said I try to make it as stalker friendly as possible. <laughs> awesome. I love it. And then are you like, what do you have coming up for yourself personally? Like I said, with either your training or I know you're getting into strength sports, you know, powerlifting maybe a little bit. Like, what do you have yeah. on the horizon personally? So over the course of the next year or two, uh, I would like to increase my deadlifting PR okay. to somewhere. Right now, it's uh, my personal record's about 291, but okay. I would like that to be closer to 400 because uh, okay. that's fun. And yeah. then I also, I would like to, or events that I have coming up, um, you know, I'm always kind of floating around. I'm, I'll always be in New York City. Uh, yeah. I'll be a city girl. Um really trying to bolster up the personal training side of my business. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I want to get to a point in business where it's not just about chasing money, but I've got a little more consistency and a little more stability. So Mm -hmm. I can also be a human and not just a robotic athlete. Um, I love it. So yeah, there's a bunch of places people can come hang out with me on or off the pole. Okay. Okay. I love it. Well, again, thank you. Um, you are no longer a guest, so you can come back to this podcast anytime you want to talk thank about anything, so much. promote anything, just be petty. We can keep you whatever. <laughs> so um, I really, really appreciate it. I, I, I mean, this is such an important conversation and I know that the folks listening are really, really, really going to um, get something out of it. Some little gem or jewel, just like I did. So, and thank you so much everyone for listening. You can find us on Instagram at, um, um, the chocolate bar chocolate bar podcast we're on twitter um we're on all of the um uh, podcast platforms so apple Podcasts, um google play soundcloud etc etc um we will see you soon thank you again Roz, and goodbye everybody see you at the bar see ya <laughs>